Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Derek Myron is on the mic. Derek, what's going on? How's it going, Eric? It's fantastic. I, you're, you're in the hot seat and you've got a guest today, so I'm very excited. What are you guys talking about? I've got a guest, a longtime friend and client, Krista Schmidt. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So yeah, we're going to talk to Krista today about her experience in wealth management, tax planning, investment management, all those things, and her two-decade experience uh, doing it with us and doing it alone. She's a very, very smart, accomplished woman, CPA by training. Uh, knows this stuff really well. Love to get her perspective and share that with the listening audience today. So Krista, we met back in 2003 or four, something like that. And uh, I've had the distinct pleasure of providing uh, financial advice to you and your family. Would love to hear your educational and professional background. And um, then we'll just get into it. So uh, why don't we kick it over to you and why don't you share a little bit about you and who you are and and why you agreed to do the show with us today. Happy to do so. Uh, I can't call myself a San Diego native. However, I did graduate from San Diego State University with a bachelor's degree in accounting. I am a retired CPA out of both California and Virginia, and I've spent the last 30 years or so, uh, working for a Fortune 500 company in the area of accounting and financial information systems. So I consider myself to be somewhat of a intermediate, have some intermediate financial experience and investment experience from uh, how I first started with my first Scudder Mutual Fund many, many years ago. But as I started to look at my career path, my investing, my income stream, I quickly learned that just putting money in a 401k wasn't necessarily going to be enough. And so as a result of that, you know, I was looking for the ability to expand beyond what I knew was available in the market, which is one of the reasons why I turned to you all as well. Yeah. Can, so I, I think I, I think I met your parents in 2003 or so, and they became clients. And then your dad introduced us to you. I think it was like 2004, 2005, and uh, kind of crazy. It's been 20 years. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly time time goes. Yeah, definitely. I, I until I saw that written down, I didn't realize it really has been that long. Yeah, it's great along the way building these professional relationships that turn personal because um, we get to share so many things that happen in life. And um, so for me, it's so rewarding to see clients help and achieve their financial goals, but also to be there during good and, and tough times. Let's talk a little bit about the beginning and planning. You helped you, both your parents and yourself We in the planning process of how do I get to retirement? How do I get to mitigating income taxes? You've got a lot of experience around that. Tell me about the process and the outcomes and what your experience was in, in doing planning work. Is it worth it? 
So I would absolutely say coming together with a, a thoughtful strategy is very well worth it. A little history. My father had a very long career as an engineer and he retired with full benefits at the age of 55 due to some corporate mergers, buyout sort of a thing. And as I look back and I think about that, he was incredibly fortunate to have been financially out of position to be able to do that at the age of 55 and kind of move into his retirement years thinking through how do I fund that? Where do I where do I invest? How do I ensure that there's enough in order to be able to, to live and grow on that amount? And for me personally, as I sit here right around that same age, I often wonder to myself, am I really in that spot where I'm able to do that? And have I done enough planning or the right planning to be in that same position or do I still have some more to go? So as I said, you know, you start your job, you invest in a 401k, maybe there's a different sort of savings plan, but there's only so much you can do from a tax planning or a strategic sort of view of, of investment finance. There's only so much out there for people to be able to do on their own. And for most folks, that's that's a great first step. But depending on your sophistication, financial sophistication, your portfolio, the actual value you have to deal with investing, you, you need to take a look at what sort of future tax consequences or really do some strategic estate planning. And when is the right time to start that? Is it when you're 20? Is it when you're 30? Most people, I think, start late. And then they don't have enough time to make up the shortfall. That is too true in the country that, yeah, people are procrastinators and they do wait. Let's let's talk about, you know, I, I guess, why do people wait, right? Well, you know, it's the enjoying today versus what I'm going to enjoy in the future. What's the right balance? And as you're young, it's easy to put that off. And as you get closer to that date, you realize, man, it's around the corner. I really need to... We need, really need to take this seriously. What? Let's talk about income tax planning, something you know a lot about and preparing a lot of taxes. What's been your experience in, in doing income tax planning uh, with us or others for both yourself and your parent? Like what, What's been your experience in, in spending time on doing that? So up until the introduction to you all and the service you provide, I personally hadn't done any tax planning for long term. As I said, I you know put money in a 401k. I quickly learned a Roth was no longer available to me from a deduction standpoint due to my income level. So my parents had spent time, you know, my parents, right? So they had spent time doing, you know, tax planning and things of that nature. But I think until we actually sat down with you all in Centura, did we start to take a very structured approach to really looking at long range? How do we we maximize the amount of income we're able to preserve, income we're able 
to defer given the highly complicated and highly regulated tax regulations that are out there. One of the things that I've appreciated is being able to have a group of individuals, like-minded individuals that you're able to collaborate with to start to talk about what makes the most strategy. What, where am I today? What am I looking to ultimately achieve? And understanding that that's a very unique, specific outcome. Like what my needs might be different from the next person that comes to the table with what they're looking for. And so sitting down with you all and evaluating a variety of tax planning strategies, moving in and out of certain types of investments, which we've done a lot over the past 20 years, I think has really opened my eyes to the ability to really plan out based on what you know today, something could be incredibly different tomorrow, but at least be able to make thoughtful decisions about how you can plan. I'm, I'm single, so I have a lot of other different planning requirements that I need to think about from an estate tax and an income tax perspective. I'm not saving for my child's college or things of that nature. So I really enjoy the different types of investments that we've been able to explore, to discuss, evaluate, and in some cases, ultimately decide they're just not the right ones for me. Let's set a little context here. You said a lot there, so let's unpack it. (laughs) We, as a baseline with any client, whether it be you or your parents or others, is getting the prior tax returns and if you own pass-through entities, whatever, however your income comes in and and getting that projected forward with the client's help to make some assumptions. What do we think the income is going to look like on a go-forward basis from our active activities, our passive activities and and our investments? What does it look like? And if then we project that out five, six years, and then we assume that the federal and state income tax laws aren't going to change, what would the taxes be? Okay, so whatever the gross number is, this, you know, whatever the number is, and then what is the tax? All right, now that's, we mark that baseline, and then we we identify the top three to four strategies that we should model to determine how to mitigate that burden based Mm -hmm. on, Krista's investment estate planning goals. So in mo- just like you said, in modeling out those solutions, that's where the magic is. Okay, how does this solution, what does it do? Hey, it's going to mitigate 25% of my tax over the next five years. Okay, what are that's the benefits. What's the cost to set it up? What's the cost to administer it annually? What are the risks? Just like you said, like, what are the top three risks? Well, gosh, I hate these two. Okay, maybe we can go back to the drawing board and re- and rejigger the transaction to show it to you again. And and just like you said, the client has the choice. Like, eh, maybe this just doesn't work for me. Let's put it in the disqualified camp. Let's go to the next idea. So you have gone through this process a few different times over the years, both for yourself and for those that you serve as trustee on. How has that... Have you enjoyed that process? Have you seen that process yield results? What's been your experience? 
Absolutely. The interaction we have uh, and just the, just the kickoff of the dialogue of those discussions really helps to center and allow me to focus and really think through what are my true goals, right? One of, I think, a little bit of our running jokes is you keep asking me, well, how much longer are you going to work before you retire? And I think I've been saying three or four years for the past 10 years. So <laughs> I have. <laughs> so, you know, that that changes a bit. And, you know, in and different types of entities that I am responsible for have different objectives. Is it capital preservation? Is it income? Is there, it is really in some cases tax, even a consideration of that particular entity. From my own personal standpoint, as I look at where my income takes me, where my passive and active investments take me, how do I, you know, choose or evaluate what makes the most sense at the the right time? And that could be different. We've gone in and out of various types of various types of investments, classes of investments, I guess, might be a better term over the years to find something that that is the right fit at that moment. So you pivoted a little bit from planning to the investments. Let me just before we go there, let me still unpack your statement about bringing together like minded individuals for this planning. Did you mean like minded individuals here at our firm? Or are you also speaking about the coordination of third-party professionals as well? It's a little bit of both. I think that definitely the interaction with you and your team members in all aspects of the services that you provide from Centura have really helped me kind of chip away or pick through the details of some of the different things that are available and and how they should be evaluated. You have experts in a variety of different fields, swim lanes, whatever you choose to call them. And I do rely on on their expertise and their recommendations. As far as also considering assistance with estate planning with various legal advisors, attorneys, tax professionals as well, in order to try to bring together the right group of people for me. Other individuals may need other sorts of advisors, but for me, with my area of expertise, I sort of know what I know and I know what I don't know and where I actually need help and and look for help. And I've been very pleased with getting that supplemental service as part of the planning, forecasting and the like from you and your team at Centura, as well as the other professionals that you liaise with. 100% clients who are wealthy, who have high income, um, engage in these planning activities to figure out how, what are the best strategies to mitigate income tax? What are the best strategies to plan my estate? And I think what you're alluding to is how do the coordination amongst the CPAs and legal folks between our firm and, and these others, um, how how I know how what I think about that. Like, how do you perceive that, and how valuable do you think that is that we spend a pretty significant amount of time with those four folks coordinating that? 
it's an incredible advantage. And I look back at my past experience over the past year where we've had to draw on a lot of those resources to uh, address some open items or issues that we've had during the year. And just knowing that there is that coordination of information and that continuity of, I almost want to call it like continuity of care, which is something you hear in the medical profession. And I think it does sort of parallel well over to this discussion. You want to have your coordinated care where your specialists are talking with your primary care provider and able to help look at all aspects of the issue. It definitely saves me time, saves me from having to repeat or become repetitive. And it also saves me from having to lose a little bit in translation. Maybe I didn't quite explain something the same way to someone else. So having that team together is really super beneficial when with the volume of activities related to the other entities that I'm involved in, as well as personally, as well as my day job, if you will is incredibly helpful and a beneficial service. Fantastic. We, at at our firm, we put a lot of time and effort into the meeting notes to make sure, just like what you said, like context is everything. Did we think we heard what Krista was saying? So we capture it and the note taker thinks they know what I'm saying. And then I get to review it and edit it. And then we have follow-up activities. I always like to survey clients to understand, like we spend a, fair bit of time and money around doing that to memorialize it and sending those out within a day or so of the meeting. How is that valuable to you? And if so, how, and how do you use it? I would love to hear your feedback around that process. So I have, I have two comments to that. One I'll talk to about myself personally. Uh, As soon as I get that document in, that's the first thing I go through. I take a look at, I skim it. Does it get all of the pieces correct that I recall the discussion leading? And are there any action items? Are the action items for you or your team? Or are the action items for me and things that I have to go prepare and take care of? That's incredibly helpful for me because you can lose sight of some of those things pretty quickly. The second comment, and it's fact something that's just come up this past week, as you know, We also spend a lot of time uh, working on entities that my parents had set up over the years, as well as some of the management of, of financial information for my mom. And we had a question come up just the other day where she asked about a particular type of investment. And is that what we're going to be doing next? And I said, gee, I don't really remember from our last tag up meeting with Derek and team what we were going to do next. Let me go back through those meeting notes from the meeting that you had and that we had to go back and see what we did say about that the last time that we chatted. So here was a great example of, I need to reach back to the meeting from a couple months ago to sort of rewrap my head around what were we going to do for you specifically, because I have to think about what we were doing for trust A, trust B, trust C, my own personal, and it can get very, very confusing. And so those meeting notes, and it's just funny, literally just came up this week, 
our godsend and really help keep me very well organized. And it's very much appreciative. That's so great to hear. I, I just wonder, does your mom read them and use them? Are they helpful for her or does she not utilize them? She will look at them because she wants to make sure, for example, that's a great comment because with one of the meetings, I think there was a pretty big disconnect when we walked away with what she thought she said versus what you all heard. And when she got those meeting notes back, she was able to take a look at it. No, that's not what I, that may have been what I said, but that wasn't what I meant. And so we were able to reorient and make sure that we addressed that quickly. However, I think once she files it away, she doesn't necessarily recall specifically what some of those actions were. So that's why I'm like, hey, mom, I might need you to pull up that last summary from the last meeting that you had with Derek so we can go back and look to see. So she definitely finds them useful. I, I think as she too can get, I won't call it overwhelmed, but it's a lot of stuff that we yeah. have moving around. So it's, it's definitely a benefit to her as well and me. Yeah, I would say that we only started publishing them for years, compliance say, don't publish them, don't publish them. We only published them internally. And about 10 years ago, like, absolutely, we're just going to start publishing them externally. And um, I always like to hear, like, is it helpful or not? It's absolutely mandatory internally. Because in order mm -hmm. to serve ultra high net worth families like yourselves, it takes a team. It takes many people and I mean, you see those follow-ups, sometimes it's only a handful, but sometimes it's, you know, 25 follow-ups that all get entered into a project plan with all the different people that are assigned and and one, the project manager, in, in your case, Samantha, can see where we're at and who's ahead and who's behind. And so it's totally necessary internally, but I always like to check externally how valuable that is. So I'm glad to hear that that's a value to to you and your mom. And as I said, it literally just came up this week with a certain type of investment and uh, your question timing is perfect. That's great. I, I would say one other thing too, um, anybody who, it, you know, that has a group of advisors, a financial advisor, CPA, estate planning attorney, that typically it falls to the financial advisor to coordinate that. If you have somebody that does that, good for you, because it's so it is so necessary, in my opinion, to, in order to get good coordinated advice, is to have that person that's quarterbacking that stuff together. Let's pivot our conversation from planning to investments. You've had a broad experience to alternative investments, and when I say alternative, we put it into five categories: private real estate. You've got experience there, mm -hmm. private credit, private equity, hedge, and then we just have a catch-all other. And when we say alternatives, largely we mean illiquid alternatives. These investments are going to be illiquid for five to 10 years. And we typically make, you know, we, we have money that's in traditional portfolios that are liquid. We call them 40X stock bond and, and cash investments that are liquid. And then we have the alternative investments that are typically illiquid. And 
prior to coming to our introduction, I'm not sure how much experience you'd had with alternative investments. Can you share your experience? Given that definition of alternative investments, I would say none. I, I well, I take that back. As a new right out of college employee, I got some great advice uh, from my first my first manager, and that was take advantage of all of the benefits that the employer is offering you to help you save. For example, a company provides a 401k match. Well, you should go put your money in some 401k and, and start saving for that. Your company offers a stock purchase plan where they offer a discount on shares. Go take care of that. So other than the easy DIY, uh, I can do a 401k. My very first investment was the Scudder Development Fund, and I just put $500 in every month in order to start to grow some investment and some savings. That was pretty much it. The as a 20-year-old working, you know, a, a, you a didn't have a lot. We talked about that earlier about you know, when is the right time to start investing? And you don't really know that some of those things are out there. Now, this was I'm going to date myself here. This was before the World Wide Web and the internet. And you didn't have a lot of those self-research tools, things you could go look at and find on your own. And so I would say I virtually had none, no experience there. And getting exposed to those concepts that were very different than traditional 1940 act liquid investments that you could buy and sell every day. What has been your experience in exploring and investing in those? What's been your investment experience over the last, I don't know, you probably got started 15, uh, maybe two decades ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, probably 15 to 20 years ago. I, one thing that I will say, and, and you brought up the point before about liquid and illiquid, I still tend to want to be very liquid. We have these discussions all the time. How much cash is enough? How much, how much, and, and I may want to have a little more than even you all would basically recommend as a ideal portfolio for someone with my fact pattern. But as I look to cash flow planning, if I look to tax planning, those were some great charts and templates that we worked through together to start to think about what is the outcome of, of staying in an illiquid investment? And, and it, it, is that okay for where I am right now in my estate strategy? How much liquid, how much illiquid? What's the tax consequences of moving in or out of those? And I definitely would say my awareness has increased tenfold, if not a hundredfold, at least for being for now understanding what all of those things are that are out there. Some of them may just not be right for me at this point at this time. But when you went through that list, I think I pretty much have a little of everything. But I would say you definitely the team at Centura and and you have definitely been able to provide a curated list of 
alternative investments that suit me. Do you think that you have received an illiquidity premium? And what we mean by that is if you're tying up your money and not being able to pledge it to borrow against it or to sell it immediately, we typically say you should get a premium over the liquid stuff. And what that premium is can can depend on a variety of risk factors. But in general, do you believe your alternative investments as a whole have significantly outperformed your liquid investments over the last decade or two? 100%. So do you, be, do you believe the extra returns that you've received for, those, for that illiquidity has been worth it? Absolutely, because I'm able to take those returns and either redeploy them in same strategies to compound the returns or in different strategies to diversify so that I don't find myself with the bulk of my estate in one particular type of investment. Correct. I think the other thing is oftentimes when people are looking at the alternative investment landscape and they're looking at these periods or somewhere between five to 10 year holding periods, the key is, is to get some so that you have different vintages so that every year you have new alternatives becoming liquid because then it the liquidity thing kind of dies down because you're like, hey, every year I'm getting new choices as to what, as these things mature and decide what, are, how do I want to reallocate? Have you found that experience as well? I would say yes. I think as we look at the types of investments that I have across the portfolio, I think we're probably now just at the tipping point where we're starting to see maybe more of that because I look at the first the first 10 years or so that we've started to sort of build that foundation I think now we're at that hey now is it time to hit the pivot where do we need to ladder to your comment vintage it's a um, great word to think through what makes the next level of sense, if that makes sense. Sure. Please share with me what you think has been your biggest learning, in, whether it be in planning or investments or selection of the team, because over time you've had to change out professionals as well to, to getting the optimized team. What has been your biggest learning in all of it, in any one of those three areas? So what I would say is that you know, working with financial professionals, and I mentioned this earlier when I talked about having like-minded individuals, you know, you really have to be on the same page, at least in the same book, if not on the same page, with the folks that uh, you're aligning yourselves with. If you have a completely different philosophy of where you want to go, what you want to end up, where you want to end up at then I don't think it's it, it kind of is the, the best choice. You really need to have folks that are partnered with you that can help take you to that next level, that see the same vision, 
that you see. And I have been very happy with some of the paths that we have been on, the introduction of uh, some new teammates, the retirement of some older teammates or partners that maybe don't necessarily have the, the same vision in the direction we're going. We've pivoted quite a bit from when we first started out with what the very first in investment, alternative investment was. And I think that it it's the trust that you build with the team that you work with and being open and transparent, I think really goes a long way. I bring a different, I bring different experience to the table because of the nature of my education, my experience and my investing philosophy. So what might fit for me may not fit for others, but it's about coming to that, finding that balance and finding that right, that right mix. Yeah. I, it's um, investing and planning is so different for each individual, right? Cause everybody has their own set of facts, assumptions, and goals. And those goals, even if they have the same facts and assumptions can lead you to vastly different planning and investment solutions. And what you just said is it's a dichotomy because you want to have high trust with the people that you're working with. And that typically is a function of time. So how do you recommend people proceed? This is somebody listening to the show and they're like, gosh, I, I know I have this balance sheet and these assets all over different entities. And, and I don't really have those people. What do you recommend they do? They don't have trust. They don't have those people in their lives. What, what do you recommend they do? So the, the accountant in me, right, will say sort of, you know, lay everything out on the table, take stock of, of what you, of what you have. And get that inventory in place. Understand where, where are all your different accounts? What kind of accounts do you have? And then start small. There's nothing that says you have to come in and throw the entire portfolio over the fence to someone and say, hi, we've just met. Um, could you take over you know, all of my estate and tax planning right away? That may not be the right move for someone. You want to interview potential advisors. You want to talk with colleagues, with coworkers, friends who also use advisors or go from word of mouth for recommendation. I think that you start small with something that you're comfortable with. So to your point of building that trust over time, then you're able to move more things under the control of a financial team. We've recently done that with my parents' estate uh, due to some changes and some need to manage the information a little more efficiently and not have so many things a little scattered about. And feeling that we've been able to establish a long-term relationship with a advisory team that we trust helped make that decision kind of much more simpler to further consolidate. But that wouldn't necessarily be where I, I would say I would start. I would start with something small. 
here's this chunk, this value, this account, help me come up with a strategy of what to do with that and then build on it. Sage advice. I, before we, our time is winding down here, would love to throw it out to you for a closing thought before we throw it over to Eric to wrap up the show here. What's your closing thought to the listening audience today? So what I would like to leave you all with is that you can make sound financial choices. And a lot of times you may be able to do those on your own. Uh, But as you are looking at a more complex landscape, a more intricate portfolio value, estate value, I think that you start young, you start small, but then at some point you need to evaluate if you need to kick it into high gear and grow and start to look for that support where it clearly has outgrown what you're able to do on your own. So I think there's a lot of people, Krista, that inherit wealth or they've got a company that they're about to sell yeah. or, and they just don't have the team in place. Right. Okay. And they're like, well, and I'm scared. I'm going to choose the wrong team and complexities are abound. Like, um, and I don't have trust. Maybe I can't start slow. So you're like, look, you know, so Krista, we're running short here on time, but I'd love for you to leave with your parting thought to the listening audience on what you think would be a, a good advice, sage advice. Thank you, Derek. I think that assembling then that trusted team is really paramount to getting a strategy in place. You, It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, if you're sitting there going, I have all this stuff, I'm not sure where to start. You know, when I took over some of my uh, estate activities from my parents, I can't keep straight sometimes how many different trusts that we have with all different purposes um, as part of my parents' more complicated estate than I personally have myself. So really gravitating towards that financial advisor, as you said, the quarterback of the team, uh, and then engaging those other professionals really rely and, and listen to what they're able to do and what they're able to bring to the table. You know, you you know what you know. You might have an idea of, of things you don't know that you should know. And then there's the complete unknowns. And we've been fortunate, I think, within the past year to have brought on some professionals as part of strategies that we're working with you strategies with the other team where there are things that we did this past year that I clearly have said, there is no way I could have done that on my own. Absolutely none. And that gives me the peace of mind that having after developed this relationship and pulling these folks together in a, in a pretty complicated time of actions that needed to happen to help wade through, you know, some estate and trust issues that that was less that I had to think about or worry about. And that is invaluable to me. There is nothing that you could put on 
making sure you have the, that team in place and being able to get through that. This past year would have been incredibly difficult, all of the things that we had to do without having those folks in place. Well, thank you for sharing, Krista. I know we spoke in generalities, but in your family, there were some big life events that occurred this last year. And I know I've heard from you and from your your mom that I'm just so thankful that the, the relationships in place with all these trusted advisors, knowing that all of these people that are serving you all are are doing it with your best interests at heart and understand your uh, family's facts, assumptions, and goals. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, listening audience, for spending their time with us. Eric, why don't you take us out? I will right after you give some folks some contact info, because I'm sure there's people listening to this going, okay, this is this is very similar to my situation, or I'm going to find myself in this situation in the next you know five to 10 years. Why don't you give them contact information in case they want to talk about their specific situation? Absolutely. So you can go to our website at Centura Wealth, C-E-N-T-U-R-A, wealth.com. And you'll see my ugly mug there and all kinds of ways to contact me or contact the firm. And we'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Krista, thank you again for being a guest. Derek, of course, thank you for hosting this and, and being the boss behind the mic. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the team comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Centura Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results. 